0: In this edition of Hoopsology, we have the pleasure in welcoming Dallas Mavericks radio play-by-play announcer, Chuck Cooperstein. Chuck shares his insight into his history with the New York basketball scene. He also shares his journey into becoming the radio voice of the Dallas Mavericks, his favorite moments, a brutally honest review of what Luka needs to improve upon to take the next steps in his career, and a whole lot more. We really enjoyed this chat. As always, get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We are a proud member of the OTG Basketball Network. And now, enjoy the interview with Chuck. He is the Dallas Mavericks radio play-by-play voice. We welcome Chuck Cooperstein onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Chuck?
1: All good. How are you guys?
0: doing really well and thanks for joining us really appreciate it i know that the season's starting to heat up a little bit with just the nba schedule coming out so i appreciate you just taking some time to chat with us um as with all of our guests it's um customary kind of tradition that we usually ask our guests how they got passionate into the game of basketball so i'll ask you and you can take it any direction you want to what is your favorite basketball memory or your first basketball memory
1: Well, I'm old enough to have seen the Knicks play at the old Madison Square Garden on 8th Avenue and 50th Street. So that that's those are my first memories. Uh, You know, the Knicks won a championship when I was 11 years old and uh, we're just about to be 11. So, you know, normally those are the formative years of your life, of your sporting life, of your fandom and uh and I love the Knicks and I love Willis Reed my dad used to call me little Willis cuz I was kind of big for my age and you know I, I could score a little bit even though I was <laughs> right-handed and he was left-handed um but uh you know I've, I've al- always gone to games and you know luckily growing up in New York uh, and uh, we had the ABA and we had the Nets and the Nets were really good at that time too and uh, you know, Rick Barry had come over in '72. They went to the ABA Finals and lost in sixth Indiana. You know, and after that, uh, you know, Dr. J and Brian Taylor and that that last uh, that last team uh, that won the uh, the ABA Championship with Kevin Loggery coaching them that was a great team. A team that very easily uh, had they been been allowed to stay together uh, coming into the NBA would have been a very very competitive team uh, in the NBA. Obviously, history uh, took it in an entirely different direction. Um, but I played ball in high school. Uh, my uh, uh, my high school point guard uh, was uh, Steve Mills, the former president of the New York Knicks, uh, who later went on to oh, play wow. for Pete Carrillo at Princeton. Uh, he played and I watched, uh, but I, I did get to play a little <laughs> bit. Uh, my coach was a guy named Albie Swartz, who was the first really great St. John's point guard. Uh, St. John's had a run of great point guards through the 60s and 70s. And Albie was the first one, uh, you know, playing for Luke Seca And, uh, so he taught me so much about the game and, uh, he, uh, was very friendly with, uh, with John Lotz, who happened to be the head coach at the University of Florida when I was, went to school there and he made a call for me so that I could actually just work with the team as a, as a manager, uh, even though those things are generally uh, pretty well-defined even before freshmen show up on campus. Um, but, uh, I was exposed to that for two years and just really the inner workings of how college basketball worked and um, just learned to love the game even more and just knew that, uh, you know, I, I never knew, obviously managers uh, usually use that as a uh, springboard into coaching. I I never really wanted to coach. I I knew I was pretty much going to do this um, just because I knew that uh, I wasn't going to be seven feet tall. And I knew uh, the other sport I loved was golf, and I didn't want to stand on the practice tee and hit 500 balls a day and try to be good. Um, just that was just way too much commitment for me. But I love sports, and I could talk, and so this was really where I was going to go. And um, and I, you know, i always hoped that I'd be doing basketball on some level, and you know, the NBA was always the great dream. But you, you know, you never, uh, you you never. Uh, anticipated actually happening. You just you hope that it does. You hope you you know you're doing the work and that people notice what you do. And uh, fortunately, I was uh, able to uh, achieve something that was really really important to me.
0: Chuck, you mentioned just your your history with this, your fandom of the New York Knicks, and. I'll, I was wondering if you could just paint a picture as to how integral New York is to just the game of basketball itself, because I feel like, you know, Matt and I, we grew up in the 90s, just loving 90s NBA, and all the history that came with that, but I don't want to, it's weird, because I don't want to sound like just a, a snobby fan, but I feel like a lot of the newer fans today don't really appreciate how integral New York is to the history of basketball key. Can I kind of go over kind of the evolution you've seen in terms of New York kind of being the heartbeat of the game and, and for younger fans, I may not understand that connection between, you know, the NBA and going to playing at Madison Square Garden, how important that is just in a regular season game. Like when no, no matter how bad the Knicks are, it's always just a massive game when the Mavericks travel to New York or any of the team travels to play at Madison Square Garden, how important that is to just to not only the NBA, but also to the game of basketball at large.
1: Well, you have to go back really, you know, to the forties uh, when Madison Square Garden, there's a reason why Madison Square Garden is called the Mecca. And you know Ned Irish, who was the president of Madison Square Garden, uh, you know, and at that time college basketball was a lot bigger than the NBA, and so you know college basketball doubleheaders were just part of the course in New York, de rigueur, if you will. Um, and and then you know there were there were bad things that happened too. You had the the, uh, the, the point shaving scandals of the fifties, uh, you know, CCNY. Uh, NYU, Columbia, you had a bunch of, you know, guys like Connie Hawkins, you know, wound up, uh, later on, not being able to apply their wares in the NBA because of, uh, what happened, uh, in the point shaving scandals. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's the city game. I mean, they're, they're the play. You can't play football on concrete. You really can't do that, but you can't play basketball. <laughs> and there were lots of parks, obviously in the, in the city. Um, and uh, in all five boroughs, but the most famous probably being Rucker uh, up in Harlem. Uh, and uh, you know, kids played; it's what they did. Uh, and basically, it just—it's—it's I, it's at that very, very grassroots level, the playground basketball that uh, I think it pretty much um, uh, imbued every every kid uh, with the idea that basketball was a really important game. Also, you know, let's face it: we're, uh, New York is not like. Uh, Florida and Texas and California and Ohio and a lot of other places, uh, really in the Sun Belt, uh, there was really no there was really no high school football to speak of. Even though arguably the greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown, is from Long Island and grew up on Long Island, but me, there's no there's no Friday Night Lights uh, in New York. So uh, bas- basketball was really uh, what was covered uh, by local local media. Uh, on the high school level, on the college level, uh, and certainly with the Knicks. But it, look, it took a long time for the Knicks to be good. The Knicks, were, the Knicks were bad uh, for, uh, I, I don't want to say, I mean, I, I mean they, they've only won two championships since the NBA was formed, okay, in 75 years. And really, you know, their greatest run was probably between 19, 1968 and, and 74 and 73 or 74 even. Uh, and then, uh, you know, in, in the 90s, there were obviously some, some very good teams and you know, a couple of teams in the 80s when uh, Hubie Brown was coaching and Bernard King was playing that they were really good. But the, game's in, the, g- the game is more important there, I think, than in a lot of other cities. Um, I think if you go uh, down the, uh, the eastern seaboard, the Boston-Washington corridor, I mean, I think you'll find that basketball is a lot more important there uh, than, than, football is. Uh, but everywhere else, you know, football is always been ingrained as, as the game. So that's, I think that's really where it all comes from.
2: Do you think based on, you know, what you know about the history of New York and everything and taking that to the modern day and sort of this, um, maybe I guess drought is, a, is a way to put it with the Knicks. Um, do you think there's any sort of need for success in that area for it to keep its identity as like a basketball driven town? Or do you think that the inherent characteristics that you mentioned kind of supersede all of that and, and it'll kind of always keep that identity?
1: I mean, if you look at the back page of the New York Post, the New York Daily News, I mean, if it's not the if it's really not the Yankees or Mets, it's the Knicks. It's mm. you know the, the Nets don't really count. And the football uh, has been so bad in New York for so long that really by certainly by the end of September, most years, they're pretty well irrelevant. So the, the Knicks matter. And but, you know, does it matter to the NBA? Any it, it used to, I think it used to matter a lot more to the NBA. Uh, but given the explosion of media, different ways uh, basketball is consumed, um, I, I don't think you need a champion in New York in order for the nba to be bigger but having said that and uh justin you mentioned this uh you know in the last question there is something about going to the garden and being in the garden and especially when the knicks are good that there there really is no other building in the nba that has that type of buzz not you know los angeles really doesn't i mean yeah you've got a celebrity row, if you will, for the Lakers and whatnot. But New York is just—it's just different when you walk in there. It really is. You—you you can, you can feel the history of that building, and I think maybe because it is the oldest building now in the NBA, even as it's undergone a, a billion-dollar transformation, you know, in the last six or seven years, uh, that it holds that history. And so, uh, you know, Boston had the Garden, and the Lakers had the Forum. Uh, where Show you know Showtime played, and now you're making new history uh, at uh, whatever they're calling the building now. Uh, but you know it's it's still the Garden, and the fact also now that I mean this is kind of stream of consciousness, but the fact that there is no corporate name on the Garden, you know it's it is Madison Square Garden. There is I think that makes it a little bit more special when you when you walk in there too, and even I know when when the Mavericks play their one game a year there, and it's, you know, from Madison Square Garden in New York, it sounds more important than, say, the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia or even the American Airlines Center in Dallas.
2: Very true. Also want to get your thoughts on... The history of the team that you are the radio play-by-play announcer for, the Mavericks. Uh, You began there in 2005, if, if my research is correct. And you have seen a great deal of history and evolution with this franchise. Can you just paint a picture for us what the state of the Mavericks were, what the state of maybe the fans or the feelings around the team were when you began in 2005 with the Dallas Mavericks?
1: Well, the team was really good. The, the, the team had just won 58 games, got to the second round, lost to the Suns in six in overtime in game six in somewhat controversial fashion when Jason Terry and Dirk got mixed up on a coverage and they let Steve Nash wide open to shoot a three that he made to put the game in overtime. And then uh, the Suns won that game in overtime. But they were really good and had been really good. I mean, They were in the midst of 11 consecutive seasons of winning 50 or more games. So uh, there, there certainly were expectations that were attached to that team. And, uh, you know, my first year with the team, they got to the finals and they should have won the finals. But the fact simply that they got to the finals and obviously I've been around basketball a long time. But, you know, you're doing when, when you're doing a team, it's a little bit different. Then you're, you're really just so uh, focused and have tunnel vision and you're thinking, wow, OK, we're doing this into June. This is really cool, right? This happens every year, right? This is supposed to be <laughs> um, As you, you learn very quickly, the next year, when you're even better, when you probably had your best mm. team and won 67 games and then get bounced in the first round by the Warriors, you realize that nothing is given to you like that. And you, you realize that you know, every time you get to do playoff games and the farther you advance uh, in the playoffs is, you it's not really fair. your team advances and you're a part of that and you're describing that and how exciting that is and you know you just don't take that for granted you can't take it for granted because you just don't know if you're going to have that chance again
0: chuck i want to ask you you know matt brought up you starting in 2005 what is the kind of evolution of the mavericks franchise from just, you can take it any way you want to, just from a player personnel standpoint to the fans' relationship standpoint, to just to see how Mark Cuban has handled the team. It seems like, and if I could be totally wrong about this, that he's a lot more laid back in terms of his interactions with the refs compared to, um, you know, back when you you started calling games for Dallas. Can you kind of just, if you can, just describe what the evolution of the franchise has been like and what do you see for its future moving forward?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, you're talking from 2005 to correct in the, in the Cuban era, not not from from the beginning, you you know, Cuban came in um, at an interesting time because, you know, Don Nelson was there and, you know, Dirk and Steve Nash were young players uh, and the Mavericks were, had gotten off to a terrible start that year. And they were coming off the lockout year where they weren't very good that year either. And, you know, Nelly was more than concerned that the new owner was going to come in and blow him out. Uh, But he didn't blow him out. And the Mavericks, I think they were 9 and 23 when Mark took over the team in January of 2000. They went 31 and 19 after that. Uh, And that, again, sort of set the stage for what was to follow. And obviously, you know, from 2001 to 2011, in you couldn't really ask for a whole lot more. Yeah. You would like to have won uh, another championship or two, but you know, there were two trips to the finals. There was a championship. Uh, there was uh, the uh, consistent excellence of the uh, guy who turned out to be the greatest international scorer who's ever played the game. Um, and arguably the greatest international player period who, who has ever played the game. Uh, so, I mean, that was great. And, but you know, no, nothing is forever, and I think that's the thing that you learn. And the Mavericks, after 2011, kind of plateaued. and They had a couple of years in uh, 2014. They won 49, you know, had the great series with the Spurs uh, in the first round, uh, lost in seven, uh, You won know, 50 the next year. But you could see at that point things were starting to fray. That was the year that Rondo was brought in after the Mavericks got off to a great start, had the best offense in the league, uh, but they felt they needed to play better defense, and brought Rondo in, and it all went to hell in a handbasket from there. And yeah. uh, and really, from from that point until you know Luca was drafted in uh, the summer of 2018, and obviously they weren't very good the first year. You know, they only won 33 games you know that year. But since then, you know Luca has shown himself to be a, a truly elite player, probably a top five player in the league. Uh, three-time uh, first-team All-NBA, which is really saying quite something at age 23. Um, so, I mean, the the arc is definitely there. the The fans, the fans have always been supportive of the Mavericks, and this is going back even to the uh, to the uh, initiation of the franchise, the initial days of the franchise back oh. in the, Dallas has always loved the Mavericks. Dallas has always wanted the Mavericks to succeed. So it's it's a much different dynamic than it is, I think, with the, with with any other team in town. Um, I think that their support generally has been universal, where certainly in the case of the Cowboys, it's uh, it's been very divided. Uh, Ranger fans, I think, are really beaten down because they just you know, they had two really good years. Uh, but really, since 1972, it's been a disaster. And and the hockey team obviously has has done well at times. And they have and they certainly have a, a, a very strong core base, uh, but it's not nearly as large as, as the other three. But I, I think, you know, when when the Mavericks are good, like when we saw the Mavericks get hot in the playoffs this last year, town really rallied behind them. It, it was uh, it, games truly became events, not just in the American Airlines Center, but really everywhere in town.
2: Is there an extra buzz now among that just Dallas community in general now that you guys have a star player who could be, I mean, honestly, the face of the NBA in, in the next couple of years, depending on his trajectory? I mean, do you feel like Luka being drafted in 2018 and and living up to the hype has taken uh, the excitement up another level? And And how noticeable is that?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, the expectations have been raised because he has shown himself to be a truly elite player. And I think a lot sooner than any of us really thought that that was going to happen. Uh, but the Mavericks, let's face it here. The Mavericks were still number two in town. You know, the Cowboys will always be number one. Doesn't, you know, uh, a lot of times in the, the Mavericks you know, won't get a whole lot of, uh, attention you know, from, I, w- I won't even say their fans are fine, but even like local media, you know, certainly television. Um, you know, they they won't get uh, much attention probably until like after after football season. Or you know, famously, you know, to me, my my favorite day of the season when Rick Carlisle was coaching the team was the day after the Cowboys lost their final game of the year, and then all the TVs started <laughs> grav- uh, gravitating over to the Mavericks. And they would start asking October level questions in January, <laughs> and, and all of you know Rick's, uh, you know, wherewithal to just like not completely bite their heads off at that time, which was was kind of funny to watch. Um, but um, you know, but I, I still think that overall the expectations are really high, and you know the expectations after reaching the Western Conference Finals last year are even higher this year, even though we know. That the, that the conference is a heck of a lot better. The conference was, I thought, it was still really good last year, but it's much, much better this year. It's back to kind of where it's been uh, really over the last 20 years. Uh, and they made a couple of interesting moves and in bringing in Christian Wood and bringing in DeVale McGee. Uh, you know, they, they solved a significant problem for them, uh, which is, you know, much better play in the pick-and-pop game with Wood uh, and, you know, rim defense and, uh, rebounding with McGee, even if, he, even if he's not going to play, you know, he's not gonna play 30 minutes or anything like that, but he's, he'll probably play the Dwight Powell minutes and those will be more, uh, effective minutes play for the Mavericks. So I think people are excited about that, but does that translate number one into more wins? Does it translate into a better playoff seed? Does it you know, translate into anything relating playoff success? I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't think anybody really knows the answer to that until you start playing because I think you see what happens you know when you when you get into the playoffs and you start a series and you see the same team all the time and you see things evolving as the series goes on that you would never have thought possible when the series began. So the the expectations are high. You know fans are very much in the you know championship or bust mode. Uh, and I guess that's listen, if you're a fan. Uh, you have a right to act that way, but even if it's not terribly realistic, you you know you really should enjoy the ride. And as long as seventy-seven is playing for the Mavericks, I think everybody's going to enjoy the ride pretty much.
0: What do you think Luca's ceiling is as? a player, because I I see his potential being unlimited. But you get to see him almost on a nightly basis. Where do you think his potential can go? Is it compared to another player you've seen play from your just a vast experience, or do you see him just being in a category all by himself that's based on just how young he is and his vast international experience?
1: I mean, he could be LeBron James. I mean, he really could be. Uh, He's different than LeBron. I mean, LeBron is, you know, far more explosive, as an athlete, and then just more muscular and what have you. But but Luca is so he's so smart, and I, in in many ways he forces people to uh, rethink their notion of what athleticism is. Uh, you know, where where we normally think of you know running fast, jumping high, explosion, explosive stuff as being athletic. You look at Luca's ability to change directions. Uh, at, the, at the same speed or even, uh, you know, slow down, then speed up and just really make the game work for him uh, and force defenders to really think about what they're doing. That's athleticism. I mean, that's, that is athleticism. It's just in a much different package. But, you know, there, there's still definite improvement in Luca's game. I mean, look, he can be a better three-point shooter. He's, he's barely, he was barely league average last year. He takes a lot of three pointers. Takes a lot of bad three pointers. Quite frankly, uh, his shot selection can be better. Um, he needs to be a much better free throw shooter than he's been. There's really no excuse for him to be a 74% free throw shooter. Uh, and even if you know you're watching, the, if you've seen the games uh, prior uh, this month, uh, leading up to the World Cup qualifiers, still struggling shooting free throws. He was nine of fourteen yesterday against Serbia. There's there's no reason why he can't be an 80% free throw shooter, which he was at Real Madrid. Uh, and because he's going to be shooting a ton of them. You know, he shoots eight a game. Uh, he may be shooting even more you know, as, as time goes on. He's got to be able to make them. And he's got to, and he, he's got to be able to be, at, at the very least, a league average three-point shooter. Uh, you, you, you need those things. Um, you know, he can always cut down his turnovers. Uh, I think sometimes the game comes so easily to Luka that he needs to do things to amuse himself to challenge himself Mm -hmm. and he'll, he'll make some, some dumb plays. You know, sometimes they wind up being spectacular, but sometimes they wind up being turnovers and turnovers are just something that that Rick Carlisle certainly abhorred. Jason Kidd doesn't feel much differently about that. I mean, he wants, you know, possession is really important. Possession means shots, more shots, more shot attempts, you have a better chance to win games. And so, you know, Luca, there's no, I don't think anyone would ever ask Luca to be like Chris Paul and have like a three and a half or four to one assist to turnover ratio, but you can't be nearly two to one or, or even below two to one, which he was for much of last year. Um, you know, if, if Luca could be in the two, 2.3 to 2.5 to one assist to turnover ratio, it would, it might be church for everybody. I mean, really, I mean, it's because at that time, then then and obviously assists are a function of guys making shots. um, But at the same time, you got to make sure that guys are in position to make shots, to be able to get them the ball, to make shots and making the the easy, the easy play. I mean, there's no reason to make the game any harder than it already is. And then obviously, the last thing is for him to be able to calm his temper. Uh, You know, we don't want him getting in that Mm. situation where he was at the end of last year, where. Uh, He had gotten his 16th technical and it ultimately was rescinded and he got to play in the last game of the year, but there's no reason for him to, to get to that point, even if he's getting hammered, which many nights he is, but you know, you just got to be able to choose your spots. I mean, like really choose your spots. If it's, it's one thing, if it's, you know, you know, you're 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 playing a really good team, and you're and you're into it, and and something egregious happens. You know, then okay, I, I could see that, but you know, if you're if you're playing a bad team and you're up ten and you get whacked and you go nuts and you get hit, what are you doing? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it, and again, not not that the fines matter given Lucas' contract or anything like that, but you know, that you're just at that point you're potentially giving up points, and there's just no reason for that.
2: Yeah. That's the scary thing that you mentioned earlier is that, uh, Luca hasn't, hasn't found that ceiling yet. And, and he's so young and there's definitely a lot of of room for growth there. Just
1: think about that. I mean, all these things that I just said, (laughs) right? and he's still a three time (laughs) and he's still last three years, first team all NBA, which
2: I mean, you clean up one or two of those things and yeah, I mean, it might be lights out. Um, had to ask Chuck with the time that you've spent with the Mavs, is there a favorite or most memorable broadcasting moment that you've had either a run with the team or, or a story, um, that has been, you know, one that, that you come back to?
1: Well, obviously the best broadcast is when they won the championship. Sure. There's, there's nothing <laughs> like that. You know, if you're a, a local broadcaster, that is the dream. Uh, you know, we chronicle history every night and, how I describe how the Mavericks closed out the Miami heat to win in six is something that will be recorded history forever. And that's really, really cool. And, you know, and especially as a radio guy, you know, these are our moments because so much attention is put on television and local TV does not exist in the playoffs after the first round. So you know, at that time, it turns over to radio and we are the, the, really the local fans conduit. And, you know, we do find that a lot of people uh, turn down the, the uh, television sound and, and try to sync up the picture with us uh, to be able to hear us and get, you know, not just our perspective, but by extension, their perspective, because, you know, we, as I like to say, and uh, Brad Sham, the voice of the Cowboys always taught me this is you're going to do an objective broadcast. From the Mavericks point of view, or in his case, the Cowboys point of view, Mm. (laughs) Uh, we 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 respect the opponent. The opponent makes a great play. You say that I mean these people are not the Washington Generals. I mean, they're NBA players and they're really, really good. Uh, You know, the 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 game world does not necessarily revolve around the home team, but you are certainly going to. as you're working the game, there's probably more things that you're looking at from the home team than you are for the visiting team. So, I mean, that's just as a, as a basic plan of action. But when you get to the playoffs, you know, it becomes bigger because people are listening to you more. So, you know, that's I mean, that's the, be- the biggest game and certainly, the, you know, the best game I've ever done. And you know, there are lots of great last second calls with Luca. you know, the, the shot, especially in the bubble. Uh, when oh, they get yeah. the flippers to, to tie the series, uh, but you know, the two against Boston the last couple of years at home have been fantastic. Um, the, uh, you know, all, all the stuff with Dirk, you know, just tons of big shots. Uh, you know, Dirk's, you know, his 30,000 point was gigantic, his 25,000 point was gigantic. I mean, there's just a, a you know, the, the last game, uh, against at home against Phoenix when he went for 30, uh, the next night in San Antonio in the last minute, he's in the game and the fans are on their feet and, you know, Drew Eubanks is playing against Dirk and Greg Popovich is yelling at him, get out of the way, get out of the way, you know, let him shoot the ball, you know, one last time. And, uh, so, I mean, all that stuff was cool. You know, if you, if you're just looking for a non game story, you know, my favorite really involves Dirk. And this was my first year with the team. We were uh, coming from uh, LA to San Francisco, and uh, the Mavericks had just won down there in, in LA. And we get to the hotel, and it's you know it's late, and uh, uh, we, meaning the like the staff people, usually wait for the equipment truck to come and then help unload the equipment truck and uh, you know get the bags off and, and whatnot. Uh, and the players usually just you know they go inside and they go to the rooms and everything gets sent up to the room. It's, you know, it's one of the great joys of NBA life. You know, just drop the bag when you get to the plane and see. don't see the bag again until it's in your room. It's really pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, so we're unloading here. It's 1.45 in the morning. Dirk's just hit uh, the go-ahead shot to win a really bad game down in Los Angeles. And um, we're loading up and taking stuff off of the truck and looking around and who's slinging bags at 1.45 in the morning. It's Dirk. And I'm thinking, yeah, (laughs) he's doing this. LeBron's doing this. (laughs) They're doing this. They're not doing this. You know, Dirk's doing this. And and to me, it just it's the essence of what I've always said about him is that he's the most unaffected superstar that I've ever seen in my life. He's just he's just a genuinely good person and not to mention one of the greatest basketball players of all time.
0: Chuck, we real appreciate you coming on to the show. Really enjoyed the chat. Please let our viewers and listeners know where we can find you on social media and then any other projects that you're working on as well.
1: Uh, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Coop Mavs. Um, it's a pretty quiet time for me right now. Uh, it's really just getting ready for the season when I mean, I'm on Facebook, when I'm not on, uh, you know, I, I don't do Instagram or Twitch or any, any of the other stuff, but, uh, Technology. I don't know if technology is just blown by me, or just I'm stubborn. I don't want to learn how to use
2: it. But <laughs> you're smart, <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh,
1: but uh, uh, I mean, I always use Twitter as my newsfeed, and you know, I have I have a few things to say, not just about the Mavericks, but uh, uh, I'm a, I'm just a, I'm a huge sports fan. I, I love everything, uh, really, uh, and uh, pretty much if it's if it's available to be watched, I will watch it, and, and like to think that I actually do know something about it and I'm um, really ready for college football to get going to in a couple of weeks. and it's going to be really cool.
0: Appreciate it, Chuck. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. Take care.